Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show right here at 93.9 KPDQ FM. James Blend is engineering and producing today's program. And I'm looking forward to a conversation with my good friend Samuel Hakim. He is the president of Redeeming the Nations. Not only are they continuing to do stellar work in presenting the gospel uh, to Arabic speaking nations, but they are also uh, discipling and uh, doing a, a lot of great work using media. So we'll t- talk more about that. They also have an event coming Coming up in October. And if uh, you're interested in learning more about this ministry and how to support their work, we'll give you details on their upcoming banquet. Um, and again, I don't have the date right in front of me, but I think it's the 14th of October. We'll clarify when he joins me later this hour. Taking a look at some of the developing news stories, the woman accusing Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh of sexual assault uh, when they were teens has demanded a full FBI investigation before she agrees to testify before Congress. That's a, a turn from what she had said earlier, in which her, or through her attorney rather, in which it was uh, indicated that she was very anxious to tell her side of the story. And the polygraphed exam taken by Kavanaugh's accuser is facing new scrutiny since she came forward. Uh, of course, the uh, no one knows what questions were asked and, and so on. Well, in a TV interview, Hillary Clinton says President Trump will whole, uh, wholesale fire people and become uncontrollable after the midterm elections. She apparently has a um, uh, the ability to look into a crystal ball. After a second day of talks with South Korea, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un agreed to permanently dismantle the North's main nuclear compact, complex rather, if the United States takes the same steps. President Trump praised North Korea's announcement as exciting, but didn't comment on the other half of that uh, that request. President Trump said in an interview that exposing the alleged corruption behind the FBI's Russia collusion investigation could be the crowning achievement of his presidency. And um, uh, well, we'll start uh, start with uh, Mr. Kavanaugh's accuser and whether or not she's going to testify. Originally, she had wanted to pass along the accusation and remain anonymous. Uh, that um, that opportunity was taken from her when information about the letter that was originally sent to her representative in Congress then passed along to the ranking member of the Judiciary Committee, also representing her, the uh, uh, senator from California, uh, who in the, the 11th hour passed that information and on and made it public. She then went to the Washington Post. Her attorney said that she was very anxious to testify. That has since changed. Uh, she uh, was unwilling to testify now as demanding an FBI investigation before anything can move forward. Well, Christine Blaisley Ford, the California professor claiming Supreme Court nominee Kavanaugh assaulted her more than 35 years ago. Uh, late on Tuesday, demanded a full investigation by the FBI before she agrees to any congressional hearing or interrogation into her accusations. In response, Judiciary Chairman Chuck Grassley, who said Fords is still invited to speak to the committee, countered that nothing the FBI or any other investigator does would have any bearing on what Dr. Ford tells the committee. So there is no reason for any further delay. A federal law enforcement official says that the Fords, that uh, Ms. Ford's insistence on an FBI investigation is totally inappropriate. Republicans had invited Ford and Kavanaugh to testify next week after delaying a planned Judiciary Committee vote that had been scheduled for Thursday. Kavanaugh accepted the committee's invitation. Ford stayed mum until Tuesday night, declining the invitation. Then an invitation was extended, allowing her to testify from her home confidentially, to do so publicly, whatever would best suit her. Uh, She has thus far declined to engage in any of that either. 
Well, lingering questions about her um, uh, polygraph test one day after Republican Senator Lindsey Graham raised concerns about the polygraph test taken by Kavanaugh's accuser. Her attorney is refusing to comment on who paid for the examination or provided additional uh, information, rather, on how it was conducted. Experts uh, confirm that while polygraph examinations can be useful, they're ultimately fallible tools that can be beaten. Without mentioning any particular instances, one former senior FBI agent said it could be beaten by sociopaths, psychopaths, committed liars lacking a conscience, not suggesting that she is any of those things, but just making the point that it is possible to pass the test while not telling the truth. Ford provided the Washington Post the results of a polygraph examination conducted by a former FBI agent in August, which reportedly showed that she had been truthful in her allegations. Now, again, we don't know what the questions put to her in that uh, test were. According to the Post, Ford took the polygraph on the advice of her attorney. President Trump on Wednesday said it was very exciting that North Korean leader Kim Jong-un agreed to permanently dismantle his main nuclear complex and other key installments in his country. Kim made the announcement during a meeting with South Korean President Moon Jae-in in Pyongyang. Moon said North Korea would dismantle its main nuclear complex if the United States takes corresponding measures. Now, what that means precisely, not clear. The summit was an effort to preserve um, uh, nuclear uh, diplomacy with Washington, which has expressed its desire for more substantial disarmament moves from the North. Kim Jong-un has agreed to allow nuclear inspections subject to final negotiations and to permanently dismantle a test site and launch pad in the presence of international experts, the president tweeted late last night. In the meantime, there will be no rocket or nuclear testing. The president also said that remains of American war heroes will continue to be returned to the United States before ending his tweet by calling the news very exciting. And Hillary Clinton on Tuesday predicted that President Trump will wholesale fire people following November's midterm elections. After this election, she said the president is going to wholesale fire people. She said this during an interview on MSNBC's The Rachel Maddow Show, predicting that the president will be even more uncontrollable and unaccountable following the results. Clinton argued that the president will fire people who he believes are undermining him and questioning him. In the wide-ranging interview, Clinton also discussed the recent controversy surrounding Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh. A Russian probe beyond a witch hunt. That's what the president is calling it. Well, President Trump told The Hill on Tuesday that he'd order the declassification of a number of key documents connected with the FBI's investigation of alleged Russian collusion with members of his campaign team to show that the probe was corrupt and a hoax and that exposing it could go down as the highlight of his presidency. What we've done is a great service to the country, really. Trump, uh, the president said during an Oval Office interview, it's in its own way, this might be the most important thing because this was corrupt. The president spoke to the Hill a day after he ordered three sets of documents declassified, including a secret surveillance application for former campaign advisor Carter Page. In the interview, the president accused the FBI of using Page as a foil in order to surveil a candidate for the presidency of the United States. It's a hoax, the president said, beyond a witch hunt. And there seems to be evidence to support that that may, in fact, be closer to the truth than originally portrayed. And on this day in 2008, baseball's new instant replay system produced its first reversal when a Tampa Bay Rays' Carlos Pena uh, has a two-run double changed to a three-run homer during the fourth inning of a game against the Minnesota Twins. And on this day in 1986, federal health officials announced that the experimental drug AZT would be made available to thousands of AIDS patients. And on this day in 1970, the Mary Tyler Moore Show debuts on CBS. Oh, Mr. Grant. I thought that was, no, wasn't very sorry. Quick break. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
We're back 21 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. 21 minutes after 4 o'clock is our time. Looking forward to talking with Samuel Hakim in our next two segments. He's the president of Redeeming the Nations. They are doing extraordinary work in uh, sharing the gospel and answering uh, some of the questions that are relevant uh, to Arab, speak- Arab speakers around the world. We'll talk with uh, with him about that when he joins me in our next segment. But we're continuing to take a look at what's going on across the country. Uh, some of the headlines regarding uh, Judge Kavanaugh and his accuser and demands for a full investigation before a hearing takes place. Um, uh, uh, Wall Street Journal points out at first it appeared she would uh, show on Monday, then not so much. Fox News reports now she's demanding a full investigation, the FBI uh, before she goes to a hearing, Kimberly Strassel writes that in her life, uh, if her life is complicated or she would uh, or she now doesn't um, want a public hearing, she can be interviewed on the phone by, uh, by joining lockstep partisan with partisan D's and calling for a delay f- uh, for an unorthodox FBI probe just massively undercuts credibility. And then on Twitter. Uh, Her lawyer issued a blistering letter saying she won't be uh, there Monday, which includes uh, information that everyone knows is false. Dr. Ford and Kavanaugh were never going to be in the same table. That's one of the reasons that was given. They weren't going to be at the same spot. Uh, Byron York writes this by late Tuesday, with Ford apparently refusing to testify at the scheduled hearing. Kavanaugh appeared to be uh, regaining the support of Republican senators who were shaken by Ford's accusation. Senator Bob Corker uh, tweeted, after learning of the allegation, Chairman Grassley took immediate action to ensure both Dr. Ford and Judge Kavanaugh have the opportunity to be heard in public or private. Republicans extended a hand in good faith. If uh, we don't hear from both sides on Monday, let's vote. Another Republican, Senator Jeff Flake, virtually begged Ford to appear. When Dr. Ford came forward, I said that her voice should be heard and asked the Judiciary Committee to delay its vote on Judge Kavanaugh. Flake tweeted near midnight on Tuesday. It did so. I asked the Judiciary Committee to delay. Now I implore Dr. Ford to accept the invitation for Monday in a public or private setting. The committee should hear her voice. And then, um, let's see, uh, looking at other... Uh, others who wrote from the Wall Street Journal, Republicans have already created more danger for themselves and Judge Kavanaugh by agreeing to a hearing that Democrats will turn into a Me Too spectacle that uh, sh- they should tell Ms. Ford and Democrats that if she doesn't want to show up on Monday, they will move to a confirmation vote post haste. Um, from Jim Garrity, if the foes of Kavanaugh are determined to implement a new standard that the accusation itself is sufficient evidence of guilt, then that new standard will uh, be implemented for f- uh, figures in both uh, parties, whether they realize it or not. If you believe that Bill Clinton, Al Gore, Keith Ellison, Al Franken, and Bobby Scott are all falsely accused, while Brett Kavanaugh, Clarence Thomas, Donald Trump, Blake Barinholt, uh, Ray Moore, and Eric Greitens are all guilty of sin or vice versa, you're part of the problem. And Wonkette founder Anne Marie Cox on MSNBC made the statement that reveals uh, the nature of the attack on Kavanaugh, saying we need to judge Brett Kavanaugh not just by uh, what he may or may not have done. In other words, not his guilt or innocence, but how he treats a woman's pain. And that is something I'm going to be paying attention to on Monday. How does he respond to what's happening? Whether or not he agrees that it happened with her, does he take her pain seriously? Do the people interrogating her 
uh, take her pain very seriously. And I know that, uh, or rather, no, I, I'll give you a spoiler alert. I don't think Brett Kavanaugh takes a woman's pain very seriously. And I know that because of the decisions he's made as a judge. Now, how she knows all of that is uh, rather striking. Uh, in other words, this is not a uh, an impartial uh, presentation. There, uh, there are opinions that have already been settled on this subject. Dennis Prager writes, it's almost impossible to overstate the damage done to the foundational moral principle of any decent society. Meanwhile, a story f- uh, notes of um, uh, Feinstein, the top Democrat on the Judiciary Committee, told reporters Tuesday she can't say if, in- if everything Christine Blaze Ford, Blasey Ford has said is truthful, but said she does believe Judge Kavanaugh's accuser is credible. She later admitted, I can't say that everything is truthful. I don't know. Well, as we mentioned, uh, Christine Blasey Ford is now demanding a full investigation by the FBI in a letter from her lawyer. Now, this isn't a criminal investigation. And what they do is background check uh, the, uh, in this case, the nominee, uh, Judge Kavanaugh, which they have now done six times. Uh, What needs to be done at this point, according to um, committee members, is they need to hear her story. At this point, most members on the Judiciary Committee have not Seen the the letter that was originally sent first to a representative and then to uh, passed along to the senator. They've only seen or heard what the Washington Post had to say and other reports about it. They have not had a firsthand account either in writing or in person. Well, Christine Blasey Ford and the California professor claiming Supreme Court nominee Kavanaugh assaulted her more than 35 years ago late Tuesday demanded that full investigation. In response, Judiciary Chairman Chuck Grassley, who uh, said Ford is still invited to speak to the committee, um, uh, countered that nothing the FBI or any other investigator uh, does would have any bearing on what Dr. Ford tells the committee. So there is no reason for any further delay. Well, Lisa Banks, one of Ford's lawyers, told CNN that her client will talk to the committee, but she is not prepared uh, for the hearing on Monday. She said her client has been faced with threats and she has been figuring out how to protect her family. There should be no rush to uh, a hearing, Banks said. Other top Republicans, including Arizona Republican Senator Jeff Flake, who had uh, said that they wanted to hear from uh, from Ford before voting on Kavanaugh's confirmation, have indicated they would um, move forward with a vote if Ford chose not to testify. Well, Grassley, Collins, they're urging Kavanaugh's accuser to reconsider her apparent refusal to testify. The Senate Judiciary Chairman and other top Republicans urged uh, Ford to, uh, in a letter, to reconsider her apparent refusal to testify next week about her decades-old assault allegation against the Supreme Court nominee. In a separate scathing letter to Senate Judiciary Committee Democrats, Grassley sharply condemned what he called their persistent abuse of this confirmation process through delay and obstruction with every argument available. Grassley reiterated that Monday's hearing would remain on the calendar despite Democrats' objections. I will view any additional complaints about this process very skeptically, skeptically, Grassley wrote. Meanwhile, sources say that the White House confirmation team conducted a so-called murder board. I don't know why they call at that, but uh, with uh, just Judge Kavanaugh in preparation for Monday's scheduled hearing, sources say he did well in the session and that he uh, was solid. There were no was no wavering. Of course, it's always easier to do that when you're not confronted with specific allegations from the mouth of the person making them. On Tuesday night, Ford's lawyer wrote to Grassley that an FBI investigation of the incident should be the first step in addressing her allegations rather than a Senate hearing before politicians who appear to have made up their minds, which is certainly true on uh, both sides of the aisle with a few exceptions on Republicans who want very much to hear uh, from his accuser. Uh, in fact, m- most of the re- the Democrats on the committee have already indicated they do not support him. The attorneys, uh, Lisa Banks and Deborah Katz, asserted that her family was forced to relocate out of their home and that her email has been hacked and she'd been in um, 
impersonated online. They also criticized Grassley for proposing to put uh, Ford at the same table as Judge Kavanaugh, which, of course, he did not propose in front of two dozen senators on a national television to relive these traumatic and harrowing incidents. And again, that was not uh, the proposal. In response, uh, Grassley flatly denied that he had ever suggested Ford sit near Kavanaugh and insisted he has made every effort to accommodate the accuser. In recognition of how difficult it can be to discuss allegations of this kind in public, I've also offered the choice of testifying in either a public uh, or closed session of the hearing, Grassley uh, uh, said in response. In his letter to Senate Democrats, he noted that his staff was willing to fly to California or anywhere else to meet Ford and interview her privately or publicly. She also criticized Democrats for refusing to respond to offers by committee Republican staffers to set up meetings with Kavanaugh, Ford, and others. You have uh, stated repeatedly that Dr. Ford wants to tell her story, Grassley wrote to Ford's lawyer. I sincerely hope that Dr. Ford will accept the invitation to do so, either privately privately or publicly. In the meantime, my staff would still welcome the opportunity to speak with Dr. Ford at a time and place convenient to her. Senator Grassley was joined in that sentiment by Maine Republican Senator Susan Collins, a moderate considered a key potential swing vote on Kavanaugh's uh, nomination. I hope that Dr. Ford will consider and testify before the Senate Judiciary Committee on Monday, she tweeted. It is my understanding that the committee has offered to hold either public or private sessions, whichever would make her more comfortable. Well, it's been learned from uh, sort close to uh, Senator Collins that the Maine senator called the FBI's deputy director on Wednesday to learn more about the FBI's potential role in proceedings as part of due diligence. Uh, the Senator Grassley maintained in his letter that it was not the FBI's job to review the allegations against uh, Kavanaugh. It's not uh, their role uh, as a matter uh, such as this, he wrote. The Constitution assigns the Senate and only the Senate with the task of advising the president on his nominee. Um, and consenting on the nomination if uh, circumstances merit. We have no power to commandeer an executive branch agency into conducting our due diligence. Well, the top uh, Judiciary Committee Republican repeated that assertion in his letter to Senate Democrats, saying their request for a comprehensive FBI probe demonstrates a fundamental misunderstanding of the agency's role. The FBI conducted a background check on Kavanaugh as part of the Supreme Court nomination process when Senate Judiciary Committee ranking Democrat Dianne Feinstein alerted federal authorities to the allegations against Kavanaugh last week. They forwarded that information to the White House, and it's learned that the FBI would need explicit instructions to investigate the matter further because it falls outside any applicable statutes or limitations and seemingly does not involve a federal crime. So the back and forth continues. We'll wait and see what happens over the next uh, 24, 48 hours and whether or not anything will happen on Monday to uh, at least hear the voice of the privately or publicly of the accuser. 31 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I hope we're all taking this very seriously and praying that justice would ultimately prevail, that the truth would be made known, and that uh, all parties involved would be taken seriously, and that the, uh, the accused are innocent until proven guilty. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show about 35 minutes after 4 o'clock. So glad to have you with us. <coughs> I am delighted that with me in studio is my friend Samuel Hakim. He is the president of Redeeming the Nations. And this is, from my perspective, one of the most significant ministries that uh, is, is going on in the world right now because it is reaching into the Arabic-speaking world via satellite TV and the Internet to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, reaching the unreached with the gospel. And uh, I'm delighted to have Samuel in studio once again to catch up. And I should mention that 2018 is the 22nd year of ministry uh, for Redeeming the Nations. 
Samuel Hakim, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Georgine, for having me here. It's always a pleasure and joy to be with you in the studio and with our audience as well. Well, congratulations on 22 years. This year marks your 22nd year of ministry. When you think about when God first called you, I know you were a little reluctant in the beginning to imagine how logistically and financially this was all going to work. Could you have imagined the ministry where it is today and the numbers that you all are reaching through the ministry? Well, uh, if I look back, I thank God that he didn't tell me from the beginning. (laughs) What was his plan for us all those years? Uh, I wasn't planning at all to have a big ministry. Uh, I just was challenged by one of my friends with the number of Muslims who are in Portland, Oregon. Uh, At that time in the 90s, we had about 32,000 Muslims in the Portland area. Today we have over 90,000 just in Portland. And uh, by the grace of God, uh, after much hesitation and prayer and taking the time to think about it, uh, the Lord encouraged us to start a very humble beginning. Uh, And he kept growing the ministry to the point that he started pressing on my heart to quit my job, a full-time ministry after that. Mm. And... It's amazing to see what the Lord have done in the last 22 years and how he grew up the ministry to the point that it's not our ministry, it's his work. And uh, we in a deep need for many, many hands to to participate in this ministry to reach the Muslims, not only locally, but the Lord took us from Beaverton area to the entire metropolitan area. In two years, we covered six different states with our uh, video broadcast. Uh, and now we are literally covering the entire world, six continents. We are in 13 mm-hmm. different satellites that covering literally every Arabic speaking person on the globe. So no one can have an excuse before the Lord and say, Mm. I didn't hear the gospel. Now, you're using uh, the technology of television and the internet. For listeners who aren't familiar with Redeeming the Nations, describe the kind of programming and content that you're now making available in places where uh, individuals would not have access to the gospel or would be forbidden from considering the claims of the gospel. You know, Georgine, in the beginning when I thought about it, uh, the Lord pressed on my heart that he didn't bring me from Egypt. I'm originally from Egypt. Uh, he allowed me to go to school, public school, where I had to study Islam and memorize a good portion of the Quran. And I was frustrated by that because I grew up in a Christian home. Mm. Uh, so why for me as a Christian I have to study Islam and the Quran so I was frustrated by that and then when we came to America little by little the Lord started revealing to us that he did not bring us here to have a better lifestyle he did not bring us here to have a better job or better home or a car which I didn't have any of that when I grew up uh But the Lord brought us here to give us something more precious. He gave us the freedom that we did not have back in the Middle East. And with that freedom, he put on us the responsibility to carry the good news to those who are in captivity in the Middle East. For 1400 years, Muslims have been locked and they did not have the chance to hear the good news. To the point that until our time today in some Muslim countries, it's a crime and sometimes punished by death, just having a Bible in your hand. That can can end your life. But when we came here, little by little, we started early in the 90s. We didn't have the technology that we have today, but we had some technology, and that encouraged us to start. But today, because of the technology, we praise the Lord. We are able to take the gospel via satellite television, via internet, via social media, and it's reaching out to places we never dreamed that we can reach. I'll give you an example. Uh, everyone knows that uh, there is two cities in the world, 
it's prohibited for any non-Muslims to enter those two cities, Mecca and Medina in Saudi Arabia. Believe it or not, there are believers in Jesus Christ inside those two cities today. There is a church inside Mecca today. Who can imagine that it would happen this way? But we thank God they are hearing the gospel message and they are coming to the Lord. I will share later on in the program some real testimonies and share with our uh, friends on the radio what God is doing to surprise us nowadays. Mm. I want to just pause for a moment and mention, you uh, You have mentioned we and us, that um, you are in partnership with your wife, Marcel, someone that I have such respect and admiration for. And one of the things I appreciate about you is how you credit your wife with the role that she plays in supporting you in this ministry. When I think about the people that I, women in particular, that I admire most, her name is on that list. She is someone who prays for you regularly. She has supported you in this ministry and alongside you has made sacrifices is uh, she and your family in order for this ministry to move forward. So I want to mention her um, as a supporting cast for the work that you have done. In fact, the ministry uh, functioned out of your home for a period of time, which meant people were coming in and out quite often, all hours, and a lot of, lot was being done from your home. And she, I've never seen her anything but cheerful and grateful and supportive. And I wanted to mention her and um, just honor her for the role that she has played in the work that God is doing. She is a blessing in my life that uh, many times I think I don't deserve. Uh, She is a great blessing. Mm -hmm. I cannot and I wouldn't be able to do the ministry that God called us to do without her, without her support. I know she's very shy at being mentioned, but I'm, I'm going to do it anyway because I think you need to give honor where honor is due. Uh, I take off my hat for her yeah. and I thank God for giving me such a wonderful wife and uh, I cannot do the ministry again without her support. Uh, to add to the equation here, to make it more complicated uh, when we got married 36 years ago, uh, when I asked her to marry me and she knew that um, I was so much involved in ministry in, mm-hmm. back home in Cairo and she said, uh, well I don't mind but I want to make it clear that I cannot be married to a pastor I was an, an accountant at that time, I wasn't planning to be a pastor. I finished my degree in accounting and I went to Bible school as well. But she said, I cannot be married to a pastor or a doctor or a lawyer. I would like to be married to a man who have time for a family so we can build a family together. Uh, time goes forward. We moved to America and the Lord started using us for ministry. And it was going very well until one time. I remember that was in the early stage of the ministry. And I attended uh, one of the seminars with Luis Plow. It's called Next Generation Alliance. And Luis was sharing his testimony uh, when he was young and his mother was challenging him to go to full-time ministry. Uh, And he was answering his mother the traditional answer when God calls me. And his mother got frustrated one time with him and she said, God sent the calling 2,000 years ago. Now he's waiting for the answers. And as he shared that, I felt it hitting me like a rocket. And I started praying, Lord, I will never take the step to move out to a full-time ministry unless you convince my wife first. I will honor her desire when we got married that she doesn't want to be married to a pastor. So it's your work to convince her. And it took us some time until she started feeling the calling. And one time we were praying together, worshiping the Lord, and the presence of the Lord was filling the room to a point that she can almost touch him. And I looked at her with tears coming down her cheek when she's worshiping. She is a great worshiper, by the way. And uh, she looked at me and said, honey, if the Lord is calling you, it is okay. (laughs) But even after that, it took us over 10 years to struggle with the decision to quit my job. So I thank God for her and her support and encouragement. I remember the last day that I had to make the decision, and that was uh, February 6, 2012. 
she called me in the morning and she said, honey, I was praying for you. And she started crying on the phone. I said, what's happening? She said, I was praying for you. And the Lord spoke to me in Psalm 3410. Young lions will lack food, but those who wait on the Lord will lack. What are you waiting for? Are you afraid that we may have to sleep without food on the table? That's the day that I made the decision. It's time to move to full-time ministry. Mm, he who finds a good wife finds a good thing. Amen. I agree with that. <laughs> we're going to take a quick break, but we'll continue our conversation. Again, we're talking with Samuel Hakim. He's the president of Redeeming the Nations. And I should mention they have their annual um, uh, dinner banquet that's coming up on Sunday, October 14th. We'll give you more details about that when we return as well. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and I'm continuing my conversation with Samuel Hakim, president of Redeeming the Nations. They are reaching the unreached with a gospel message, uh, the Arabic-speaking world via satellite and television, as well as Internet, following up and uh, offering discipleship for new believers in places that you probably would not imagine there are new believers, and equipping the local church as well. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, Redeeming the Nations is celebrating 22 years of ministry um, an Arabic media ministry reaching Arabic-speaking uh, nations since 1996. Now, one of the things, uh, Samuel, uh, I mentioned is the fact that you have a banquet coming up on October the 14th. And I know uh, people are excited to hear about the ministry that you're doing. And the banquet is a great way to learn more, to take uh, perhaps a closer look. Tell us about the, um, the banquet that's coming up. Broadcasting the Blessing Together is the uh, theme this year. Well, Georgine, uh, the banquet is a critical event for us because it helps us to connect with our current partners that uh, we jointly work together to broadcast the good news. Uh, we want to update our uh, partners so they can pray, they can support, mm-hmm. and uh, they can feel the urgency of sharing the good news with Muslims who have been locked without having a chance to hear the good news for 1,400 years. Now it's the opportunity. Uh, the other thing, uh, benefit of the banquet is we invite new uh, friends so we can come partners together. They can be introduced to the ministry and know what opportunities they can have available for them. And we are hoping to have more partners because we all know any kind of ministry is not just redeeming the nation's ministry. We are shooting at a moving target. You have partners who support the ministry. But that's a moving target. Situation change. People lose their job. They go to be home with the Lord. Uh, they have a family situation that changed like divorce or whatever. And you lose donors all the time. And we need to replenish that with new blood, new donors, new participation, as well as the Lord is opening new doors for us. To be able to walk through those doors, we need to increase the finances of the ministry uh, so we can continue fulfilling the calling that God has put on our hearts. So that's awesome to, to have this opportunity. The theme this year is broadcasting the blessing uh, together. And we mean every word in this sentence. Number one, we are broadcasting. uh, People think about uh, television and radio. It's more than that. It's basically spreading widely the good news. And we spread it to people who are hungry and thirsty to know about the Lord. I'm going to share some testimonies, real testimonies uh, on the broadcast today with you. Uh, But also, we cannot do it alone. This is not our ministry And we don't want to feel it's our ministry. I don't care about a big organization, but I would like to motivate the body of Christ to do the work of the Lord while we have what we can call a day. Because night might come and that door of opportunity might close any time. We want to seize the opportunity and we have to do it together. If you can pray, 
that's awesome. If you can give, that's even better. If you can go, that's wonderful. But we have to remember that Muslims are coming even to our backyard and we need to seize the opportunity. And we are here to stand with the church, the body of Christ, to accomplish the good work, the great commission together. Well, the banquet is coming up on Sunday, October the 14th, and it's been such a joy to be a part of that event over these last few years. Um, This year, we'll have an opportunity to hear from you, Samuel, as you give a perspective as president of Redeeming the Nation. Also, Dr. Clark Tanner, who's the regional executive director of Northwest uh, Region, pastor, served, former pastor of... uh, of Beaverton Christian. He's also going to be speaking. And we're going to have an opportunity, I think, to rejoice together to see what God is doing and uh, look forward to what God is calling us to uh, to do as well. In the interest of full disclosure, my husband and I, we support financially uh, redeeming the nations because we be, believe very strongly in this ministry and reaching out into um, the world in, in this way. And we have uh, complete confidence in the ministry that you're doing. We're familiar with the work. And so we uh, we have uh, supported that. Now, one of the things I appreciate are, is hearing testimonies of those who have come to faith in Christ, especially under extraordinary circumstances in places where uh, that is not encouraged. In fact, in some places it's punished. Give us a, a testimony that will paint a picture for us of what God is doing. Well, uh, the Great Commission, uh, Georgine, is uh, focusing on three uh, aspects as I see it from the Word of God. To, to share the good news, evangelize, to make disciples, and to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So I can share uh, testimonies about uh, all three areas of the Great Commission. Which part? I'll let you pick. <laughs> oh, um, people who've just come to faith in Christ. Well, uh, I will share a great testimony here. Uh, Last month, I was actually having uh, lunch with one of the local pastors, and he was sharing with me about uh, his desire to reach out to to Muslims in the area. And uh, as we are sitting together, having lunch together, uh, I start receiving uh, some messages chatting on my phone that's coming from a Muslim country. Looking at the, the phone number, I can tell it's coming from Saudi Arabia. Uh, what happened is we were broadcasting that week uh, a series uh, or one episode of the series of the Purples of Christ. And we were talking about uh, the shepherd and the lost sheep. And one of the things that he heard that God is searching for us lost sheep. That's why Jesus Christ came to save those who were lost. And he texted me and, and, and he started uh, in a question like this. This is weird teaching. I never heard anything like that. Is it God seeking man or man should be seeking God? In the beginning, I didn't want to, to give him the information. I want to stimulate his thinking. So I Start asking him questions like, what do you think? He responded to me, the Quran teaches us that we have to seek God. I responded back to him with another question. If this is the truth, and all that's happening while we were having lunch together with the other pastor. If this is the truth, why from the beginning God has been sending holy books and prophets to, to mankind? He responded back to me and said, because God doesn't want to be blamed when we stand before him in the day of judgment. So he's doing his job by sending prophets and books. And the discussion continued. To make it short, in less than two weeks, this man, accepted the Lord Jesus Christ Mm -hmm. as his Lord and Savior. I remember that time. It was about 8 o'clock in the evening. I was already at home and it was 6 o'clock in the morning, his time in Saudi Arabia. And he prayed. He was awake all night long, chatting with me back and forth. Mm. And finally, I said, I have to talk to him on the phone because chatting is not going to cut the deal. I called him on the phone and he accepted the Lord. We prayed together. Today, this man is going full power, not only studying the Bible. He read the New Testament several times within a month 
period, but he's sharing with his friends. He shared with his uh, roommate. Uh, he was married before, and now he's uh, thinking about getting remarried. And yesterday, he called me, spent over an hour and a half on the phone, discipling him on the phone. This is a brand new believer. Uh, he starts sharing about his faith on uh, on Facebook, and finally, we advise him to close his Facebook because that's a great danger because he is still living inside Saudi mm-hmm. Arabia, doing all that. You open his Facebook, and it was across in the front page. And that's too dangerous for you. We don't want you to get killed before you are rooted in the Word of God. So we need to use some discernment and wisdom. Uh, we are not suicidal. Uh, but yesterday, the main topic in our conversation is he thinking about getting remarried. And he is sharing his faith with a new young woman that he's thinking about. And we advised him to keep praying for her and don't ever think about finishing that marriage before she accepts the Lord yeah. Jesus as her Savior. So he cannot be under the uneven yoke. Mm. What an, a remarkable example of what God is doing in, in ways and in places that we don't even imagine. We're talking about Redeeming the Nations ministry. And as I mentioned, they have an event coming up on October the 14th. It's a, a banquet at the Embassy Suites Hotel in Portland, Hillsborough, that area on uh, Northwest Tannisbourne. If you would like to come and participate, and I would encourage you to do that, you need to RSVP by the 3rd of October, the event being on the uh, 14th, and you can call 503-55, or excuse me, 577-9964. Let me repeat that and get it right. That's 503-577-9964. You can also uh, send an email to Jennifer at Jennifer at RTNM. That's Redeeming the Nations. Jennifer at RTNM.org. And you can RSVP there. Now, I'm going to continue my conversation with Samuel Hakim, although our time here is uh, over. We've got news and traffic at the top of the hour. But you can go to kpdq.com for the podcast and uh, hear the remainder of our conversation. And I would encourage you to do just that. We've got news and traffic coming up at the top of the hour. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on a special edition of our podcast, continuing my conversation with Samuel Hakim, president of Redeeming the Nations. As I mentioned in our conversation a moment ago, there's an event coming up on Sunday, October 14th at the Embassy Suites Hotel. It's a uh, a banquet broadcasting the blessing together. Uh, the president of Samuel Hakim will be making a presentation as well as Dr. Clark Tanner. Well, let's talk about the challenge of presenting the gospel in Arab-speaking nations where it uh, the gospel is not welcome, and the challenge of producing broadcasting that is relevant to uh, your hearers, raising questions and answering questions that they have from a Muslim perspective. We live in a time, Georgine, that uh, the problem is not uh, with Muslims who are coming to Christ. The problem is with the church sharing the gospel mm. with Muslims so they can come to Christ. We don't have a shortage of Muslims to come to Christ. We have a shortage of the workers to, to share the good news. Uh, yesterday, I received a call from one of our disciples in uh, Morocco. And actually, I got this call as I was driving with my wife. And she called us. We have been working with this wonderful woman for a couple of years. Uh, and the Lord have used her to minister to other people. For quite some time, I used to do a, a Bible study with her over uh, the Internet using, uh, uh, I forgot what is the name of that uh, application. But anyway, I used to do a Bible study with her uh, over Skype. 
on Thursday. She takes notes and she gather her friends that she deal with on Sunday and she repeat the same Bible study mm. on Sunday. Uh, we thank God we had an opportunity to, to send her to a Bible school over the internet and now she's working on it. And the Lord is using her in a mighty way. Yesterday when she called my wife after we finished the call, told me she sounds like she was crying. And uh, the the thing that she shared with us, that we have so many people in Morocco, they are willing to follow Christ, but we don't have people to share the Lord with. We have so many people that accepted the Lord already, but we don't have enough people to decide. That's the shortage that we have right now. So the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And I would like to encourage our partners who are listening to us now, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send labor to his field. 2,000 years ago, Jesus mentioned very clearly, the problem is not the harvest. The problem sends the time of Jesus 2,000 years ago until today is the shortage of the workers, the shortage of the resources to share the gospel. Uh, what we're doing in Redeeming the Nation is we are focusing on the Great Commission. Share the simple gospel message that they are sinners like we all were sinners and they need the blood of Jesus to wash away their sins. And there is redemption possibility through the blood of Jesus Christ. They can be reconciled with God and have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, and by the power of His Holy Spirit. One of the uh, production that we have done uh, so far, and it's, it's amazing, it's working in an amazing way, and it was done in non-traditional uh, TV production. Uh, we had a series called The Proof, and the title of that program is actually coming from a verse in the Quran, because Muhammad told his followers in the Quran that Jews and Christians think they are going to heaven. Ask them to bring their proof if they are true. So we took that word, the proof, and we said, okay, you want the proof? Here, Here is the it proof. Is. <laughs> So, so far, we produced two uh, seasons. The first season is a dialogue between a Christian and a Muslim. And because of the sensitivity of the open information that we share, we cannot produce such a program in the Middle East in a Muslim country. Otherwise, all the broadcast team will, will be killed or put in jail. And if we produce it in America and send it to the Middle East, it's going to look like it is a foreign product to Christianize mm -hmm. the Muslim world. So we brought our guest speaker from the Middle East and we dramatized it a little bit to, to move into reality TV. So it's all reality TV. It's all produced outside the studio. Uh, and it came out really good. The second season, we continued uh, the discussion, moved from a uh, discussion with the Muslim to a discussion with the atheist about God. Because becoming an atheist is becoming to, to be a phenomenon in the mm -hmm. Middle East. A lot of people uh, doesn't believe uh, in the God they worship anymore. So they leave Islam. But if we don't share the gospel with them, where is he going to go? And even those who become Christians, if we don't disciple them right, mm -hmm. they become atheists again because they are not discipled well. Uh, I was in a conference in Europe to meet with uh, the leadership of the underground church throughout the Middle East and North Africa just a few months ago. Uh, we are meeting with the leadership of Muslim converts and we are leading with other non-profit organizations, other Christian even evangelical organizations who are working in this region. And we found that every single Arabic TV station wants to have this uh, this production to broadcast it. No exception whatsoever. It's changing the way a television is done to broadcast to the Muslim world. And we thank God it's not us. It's the wisdom that the Holy Spirit gave us to produce it and he provided for it. But we had two requests. Number one, we need to translate that to English because we are reaching about five 
300 million Arabic-speaking people in the world. But we have also about 300 million people who are Muslims but doesn't speak Arabic. For example, second generation in Europe and America and mm-hmm. Canada and Mexico. Those are Muslims, but they don't speak Arabic. How can we reach out to them? The second request was to translate it into French because all the Muslims in North Africa and most of the Muslims in Europe, their first language is French. So they asked us to dub it into French. We are praying about it. There is a lot of cost involved in it. And after a lot of prayer and discussions, I think the Lord is going to provide so we can move with the full dubbing in English and a subtitle in, in French. But we also start seeing another need in the Middle East because there is a huge need on the ground and we try to see what is the need on the ground and cover that need. Now, one of the things that's coming more popular in the Middle East is Jehovah's Witnesses. Hmm. So we are preparing a production now to continue season three and th- answering Jehovah's Witnesses with the same series. Uh, the other part that uh, I wish we have time to talk about it is the shortage for discipleship material. We have been producing programs to share the gospel evangelizing in the last 22 years. This year, I have a huge burden in my heart to focus more on discipleship. We see a lot of people are coming to the Lord, but no material strong material in Arabic language to disciple them. It's very easy. There is a lot of material in English and there is a lot of programs has been translated into Arabic. But unfortunately, we need to think on a way that how can we share the strong biblical truth in a very simple way that's easy to digest for somebody never been in a church, Mm -hmm. doesn't have a church around them to teach them, doesn't have a Bible college or a pastor to teach them. How can we present it in a format that's easy to digest for babies who just left their faith in Islam and coming to the Lord. So, uh, we are praying that the Lord will give us wisdom. We are uh, in the planning stage right now. We are meeting with different organizations, Campus Crusade, Navigators, and other organizations who have material for discipleship. And we're trying to blend it all together, get the best of the best, and asking the Lord to give us wisdom on how to present it in a very simple format, but yet deep and powerful. Yeah, what you've just described is the challenge, not just for redeeming the nations, but for the body of Christ at this season. And my guess is there are listeners today who are in a position to help in the areas you've just described. And one of the things I want to challenge our listeners to do is to consider how might I come alongside and provide that kind of support? We may have linguists, we may have teachers, we may have people who are good writers, we may have some Arab speakers who are listening. Um, Whatever your role happens to be, I I would encourage you to be sensitive to perhaps the call on your own heart to come alongside the work of redeeming the nations and help to fill this need. It's exciting to consider that the gospel is penetrating the hearts of those uh, who have never heard the name of Jesus, who have questions about the Christian faith. But that need for discipleship is one that is part of the Great Commission that we have to take very seriously. So once again, I would encourage our listeners to go to the website, Redeeming the Nations. And it's, I always have to look because the the letters, I have to remember, rtnm.org, rtnm.org for more information and uh, to connect with the ministry. And I I do hope, my prayer is that we wouldn't just be better informed about the work of redeeming the nations, but that we might come alongside and actually um, help in the work that's that's being done. I wish we had more time because there's so much uh, to talk about, but I want to uh, encourage our listeners to also consider that coming up on Sunday, October 14th is an opportunity to hear more from Samuel uh, Hakim as well as Dr. Uh, Tanner, who I believe is on the board of redeeming the nations. And just to hear testimony, it's just a great evening. I, I know I always come away so encouraged at what God is doing and how he uses simple, simple things, people like us to make a difference in the world. And so I would encourage people, if you're looking for encouragement, if you have a heart for 
um, Arab-speaking nations, uh, for the Muslims uh, here in our own community and around the world. This is a great time uh, to just see what God is doing. You can call 503-577-9964. That's 503-577-9964. You can also go to the, uh, or you can email jennifer at rtnm.org. Again, jennifer at rtnm.org, and that's Redeeming the Nations Ministries. Well, Samuel Hawking, how can we pray for you as you continue to do the work that God has called you, your family, and Redeeming the Nations to do? Uh, Thank you, Georgine, for asking, but uh, I will share uh, something quickly about the banquet, if you don't mind. Please. Uh, Number one, for our uh, partners who have been coming to the banquet on previous years, it's a quick note that we are not in the same location that we had previous years. We are moving from Embassy Suite, Washington Square, to Embassy Suite, uh, Hillsborough. Hillsborough, okay. So that's a new location. It's on Evergreen, close to 185th and Cornelius Pass. Uh, The second thing is uh, we have a limited uh, seats available. The venue is a little bit smaller than uh, previous years. So the seats are limited. Please, RSVB as soon as possible. Uh, The second thing is I will encourage uh, our audience to bring a friend with you. We need to see new friends. We need more people to get involved in in this kind of work. Uh, How to pray for us? Pray for wisdom on how to plan for our production and be effective in sharing the good news. We know that we can plant the seed. That's evangelism. We can water the seed. That's discipleship. But it is the Holy Spirit who's going to bring the growth. We rely completely on the work of the Holy Spirit through us, in us, and in the audience heart who are receiving on the other side. So pray that when we plant the seeds, broadcasting like you hear it, the same word, you broadcast. When you go to Home Depot and buy a machine to spread seeds, they call it seed broadcasters. So that's that's the concept. So the way we do it, we go out, sow the seeds blindfolded, and we trust the Lord that he will prepare the hearts that's going to receive to be a fertile soil and bring the increase for God's Pray for them. Uh, this kind of ministry has a lot of expenses, especially this year, like you mentioned, we moved to a new office. We were praying for a local church to donate uh, space for us, but unfortunately it didn't come through. The Lord provided us with an awesome place, and the link center was Louise Plow Organization that cost money. We're praying that the Lord will provide for that increased uh, cost. Uh, producing TV programs is becoming more and more expensive, like anything in life. Mm-hmm. Everything is getting more expensive. So that extra cost, we rely on the Lord to provide through His through, uh, Christians, whether individuals or churches and organizations. So pray that the Lord will provide. Pray for a clear vision and to hear from the Lord correctly what he wants us to do. There is so many good things that we can do. We cannot fulfill every need. So pray that the Lord will give us sensitivity and discernment to pick up the task that is from him for us to do. So pray for the protection of us as a team doing the work and for those who are accepting the Lord is a great challenge. Many, many people we share the gospel with, they they rejoice because they feel the joy of the Lord. Like uh, I have a conversation with a guy from Yemen yesterday and I said he has so many dreams about Jesus. I asked him, how did you feel after you have those dreams? He said, I always feel peace and joy. And I said, this is the difference. If it's not from the Lord, you will feel Fear what you have seen. But when it's from the Holy Spirit, God is speaking to you. You always 
feel joy and peace. So that's the first step. But after they make the decision to follow Christ, we know about spiritual warfare. We are on the front line and we are facing that challenge day in and day out. And they are the same way. When they come to the Lord, they face many challenges from the family, from the neighbors, finances, they lose their jobs, many, many, many challenges, even doubt, depression, because they feel isolated and lonely. Who's going to minister to them and who's going to fulfill their need? We need to keep those people in prayer. You know, uh, pray that the Lord will send more hands so we can do more work. Last weekend, I was in California planning for the next production and meeting with other organizations because the production that I was talking about uh, for discipleship, we are trying to talk to many organizations. We don't want to have this discussion for us only. We want to, to involve more people and the outcomes, we want to help with it. Other people take the ideas, what we found out that we can do and we can do it in different ways. Each one of us can uh, present a plate that is different flavor than the other one. So we can reach out to more people. So pray <clears throat> for more people to do the work. I was meeting with one of our partners in Los Angeles. He's a Muslim convert from Egypt. And he shared with me that he have a list of over 3,000 Muslims who came to Christ in Egypt alone. They are mm-hmm. waiting for someone to disciple them and to baptize them. Imagine if we have the manpower. And manpower translates also into finances. So we need the people we need the prayer. We need the finances. Pray for all that and bring it to the Lord. And he is able to provide. Man. Well, I appreciate so much the work that you do, the commitment that you have to the gospel and uh, to seeing people come to, to Christ and seeing that the discipleship it follows up. I would encourage our listeners once again to go to the website, rtnm.org, rtnm.org for more information about Redeeming the Nations. Samuel Hakim, thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you, Georgine, for having me. God bless you and our audience. Thank you for listening. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. Uh, yeah, that's all I'll say. Uh, James Blind is engineering and producing today's program. Thank you very much, James. Well, the Trump administration is now going to be faced with a dilemma of enforcing principles and risking strained relationships with Seoul. Or getting on the euphoric peace train. Well, the, the president's initial and uh, reading, rather, of the Pyongyang Declaration suggests the inter-Korean summit will provide enough momentum to justify convening a second Trump-Kim meeting. The concern is that the president will agree to a peace declaration which carries serious ramifications, and there's lots of hand-wringing over what that might mean. Well, a peace declaration with North Korea would be an historic but meaningless feel-good gesture That wouldn't improve the security situation on the Korean peninsula. It would not reduce the North Korean military threat or allies on our or to our allies or alleviate distrust and suspicion. It would only provide an amorphous hope that relations with North Korea would improve and that Pyongyang will undertake as yet undefined positive actions. The source of tensions is not an armistice versus a peace declaration, but rather North Korea's post-war actions, including threats, attacks, forward deployed conventional forces and deployment of nuclear weapons. So is the outline of the challenge facing the president of the United States. The North and the South, they met, they met this week to discuss the denuclearization of the uh, of the region. The South Korean president appeared in North Korea to much pomp and circumstance and many are question questioning whether or not uh, this will have an impact um, on the decision-making here in the United States. Well, holding another summit meeting without any evidence of North Korea's commitment to abandoning its nuclear arsenal would be premature, critics, uh, I think, rightly charged. Advocates have yet to identify any tangible benefits in signing a peace declaration. 
A peace declaration would be historic but meaningless. Well, a positive letter from Kim Jong-un was sufficient to overcome the president's displeasure at the lack of progress in denuclearization talks and induce him to agree to a second U.S.-North Korea summit. It's premature to hold one uh, at this point without any evidence of change. Instead, the newly appointed special envoy, Stephen uh, Bigen, uh, should f- first meet with North Korean counterparts to work toward a carefully crafted agreement that includes clearly delineated requirements, robust verification, things we don't yet have. Now, the president has touted his strong personal relationship with Kim, as politicians often do. George W. Bush looking into the eyes of Vladimir Putin and saying, yeah, they were just uh, they were they were had some sort of a connection. Um, uh, the president sees this as a way to jumpstart stalled denuclearization negotiations. You've got Secretary of State uh, Pompeo's meeting with the uh, North Korean counterparts. They fail to bridge the chasm between the United States and North Korea negotiating position. The president canceled Pompeo's scheduled trip to Pyongyang, uh, Pyongyang last month after the U.S. received a letter from the regime harshly criticizing the U.S. position. North Korea has expressed a pretty clear preference for dealing only with President Trump, trying to uh, um, decouple Secretary Pompeo from the process. By praising the president personally, Kim seeks additional concessions from him personally, whom the regime sees as more eager to maintain the proclaimed success of the summit. In the first summit, the president accepted a vague communique, unilaterally canceled um, allied military exercises without uh, gaining reciprocal gestures from the North, and strongly praised Kim Jong-un, who is on the U.S. sanctions list for crimes against humanity. A bit premature? Naive? You can decide for yourselves. Well, since the summit, North Korea has successfully shifted the narrative away from denuclearization toward improving relations and reducing regime security concerns. Yang argues that both the uh, the Panmunjom and Singapore summit agreements, sorry, I didn't pronounce that correctly, I apologize, except that denuclearization will occur after allied gestures to alleviate military tension and establish a permanent peace regime. In the past, Pyongyang has claimed that the greatest impediment to resolving the nuclear issue was U.S.-South Korean joint military exercises, which the regime argued at the time, reflected allied hostile intent. Having pocketed the president's concession to cancel the exercises, the regime now argues that a peace declaration ending the Korean War is required to reduce tensions and improve relations before denuclearizations, uh, denuclearization. Rather, In July, North Korean Ministry of Foreign Affairs declared that the issue of announcing the declaration of the end of war also referred to as a, a peace declaration, it would be a symbolic political document that, unlike a formal peace treaty, has no legal impact on the armistice ending the Korean War or the United Nations command. Uh, so, uh, again, we're talking about um, rhetoric versus actual action. All of that said, uh, the uh, the president has indicated that a second summit is, uh, is being discussed. Uh, what the parameters are, what the requirements on the part of the North Koreans might be, is not yet clearly understood. And September 19th is the 222nd anniversary of the publication of President George Washington's farewell address. Appearing in newspapers all across the country, it announced Washington's intention to retire from public life after his second term. For most of American history, the farewell address was required reading in grade schools across the nation and was continually invoked in the public discourse. In recent decades, however, the address has faded into obscurity. That's a shame, as it is a treasure trove of wisdom from the man who did the most to create our country, who knew as well as anyone else what it took to create a modern, large-scale republic. And it is, by the way, a republic, constitutional republic. After all, it was Washington who led the nation through the War of Independence, oversaw the drafting of the Constitution, served as its first president. Washington addressed the document specifically to the American people, not just to policymakers, and 
recommended that they give his advice their frequent review. The farewell address is mostly known for its warnings against political parties and entangling alliances during the nation's youth. Certainly Washington made those points and offered practical advice on a wide array of other subjects. They include making permanent the powers of the federal government, obeying the Constitution, being sensible in public spending, accepting the necessity of taxes, and cultivating peace with other nations insofar as that was possible. Wise though these recommendations may be, they underscore deeper philosophical arguments. To reduce the document to mere policy prescriptions misses the point. Besides, not all of them were meant to last forever. Richard Lim, in writing on the subject, points out that Washington published his address when the United States was an infant nation surrounded by European superpowers. His recommendations were intended to gain time to our uh, country, to to progress rather, to that degree of strength, to give it command of its own fortunes. And although Washington advised cultivating peace for a time, he envisioned an America that one day could choose peace or war uh, as our interest, guided by justice, shall counsel. America would, be, would have greater freedom in due time. Policies would change as circumstances change. If that's the case, what can we today gain from reading his uh, valedictory message? The answer lies in something Washington knew very well, something that hasn't changed since 1796, human nature. Washington strongly believed in the depravity of mankind. He identified a love of power which predominates in the human heart. In his eyes, man could be ambitious and unprincipled, but even worse, he is designed, in other words, deceitful and scheming. Man often hides his depravity under the veneer of virtue and love of country. Washington described men as cunning and called for the American people to guard against the impostures of protection patriotism. If man is corrupt, it only follows that nations are as well. Washington believed nations not only seek their own interests, but often trample over the rights of other nations. This is why he warned us about the insidious wiles of foreign influence and counseled that there can be no greater error than to expect or calculate upon real favors from nation to nation. In other words, Washington warned that America's opponents, both foreign and domestic, would pose as its advocates. They would use deception in their efforts to promote an alternative agenda. uh, agenda, rather. Specifically, he called Americans to suspect the motivations and patriotisms of their fellow citizens who reject the national government, distrust the patriotism of those who in any quarter may endeavor to weaken the union's bands, promote narrow interests at the expense of the nation's interest as a whole. Parties are often a small but artful and enterprising minority of the community. Undermine religion and morality. In vain would that man claim to to uh, the tribute, rather, of patriotism, who should labor to subvert these great pillars, religion and morality. Well, those were hallmarks of America's domestic um, adversaries, a rejection of the authority of the national government and the role of religion in society and an obsession with narrow interests. During Washington's times, narrow interests often centered on geographical affiliations. Today, they often center on one's racial or ethnic background or income level. Division among these lines has led to a toxic identity politics that demotes national identity while elevating lesser sub-identities to the detriment of national unity. Washington likely could not have fathomed this sort of identity-based division, yet he warned that narrowly defined views in general would negate the the national interest if pursued without compromise. Not only was man corrupt, but he was also frail and prone to error. Washington argued that some citizens might believe they're serving America's best interests while actually undermining it. He described these citizens as deluded tools and dupes under infatuation, the very victims of those who practice deception.
These two observations, the depravity and frailty of man, form Washington's first core message that America has real enemies, both foreign and domestic, some of whom are unaware of their pernicious effect on the country. And while Washington founded a nation based on humanity's highest ideals, liberty and equality, he believed that America must reject naive idealism about human nature and not put too much faith in the goodwill of other countries. We would do well to reread and consider his farewell address written some 222 years ago on this very date. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. A political's headline, Pompeo speaking to deeply conservative Family Research Council, was intended to be bad news. Uh, they're not happy at Politico that the uh, that Mr. Pompeo is speaking at the event. Critics of his uh, values, voters' speech, uh, forgot some Hillary speeches to leftists. So, kind of points out the double standard. If you're on the right, that's always bad in terms of the mainstream. If you're on the left, it doesn't really matter how far left the group is. That's always at least accepted if not uh, not good. Well, Democrats, including at least one former aide to Hillary Clinton, expressed outrage that the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, was speaking on Friday at the Value Voters Summit, a 12-year-old event that focuses on traditional family values. A Politico, in a story about the flap published on Tuesday, ignored speeches that Hillary Clinton gave to politically charged groups while she was Secretary of State from 2009 to early 2013. They report that critics on the left criticized Pompeo for his scheduled speech at the Value Voters Summit, for which the main organizer is the Family Research Council, that uh, that radical group. It's a conservative education and policy group. Well, among um, indignant Rep- uh, Democrats, rather, quoted was uh, Philip Rines, who was an aide to Clinton when she was President Barack Obama's first Secretary of State, who also was a key player in her two campaigns for president. Clinton, however, spoke while Secretary of State to the Planned Parenthood Federation of American Gala in Houston back in 2009. Planned Parenthood is the nation's largest abortion provider. It's a heavy political fundraising force for the Democrat Party. The overreaching mission of Planned Parenthood Federation of America and the cause of reproductive freedom that you continue to advance today is as relevant in our world now as it was 100 years ago. Clinton said at the Planned Parenthood event. Now, Clinton there um, received the Margaret Sanger Award. And if you know anything about the history of Margaret Sanger, her eugenics, her her uh, hatred for ethnic minorities, um, she is uh, named for the eugenics advocate, this award, uh, and Planned Parenthood founder continued, um, yet we know that Margaret Sanger's work here in the United States and certainly across our globe is not done. This is and has been for many years a matter of personal and professional importance to me. And I want to assure you that reproductive rights and the umbrella issues of women's rights and empowerment will be a key to the foreign policy of this administration, referring, of course, to the Obama administration, end quote. Well, Clinton also spoke at the Center for American Progress in October of 2011 during an event called American Global Leadership. I remember when uh, CAP, as it's called, again, Center for American Progress, was literally just a twinkle in John Podesta's eye, Clinton said of Podesta, who started the liberal organization and would go on to run uh, her failed 2016 presidential campaign. And now every day you're contributing to our national debate and increasingly the global debate. You're helping those of us in government, which includes quite a few CAP alumni, uh, see the trend lines beyond the headlines. So I thank each of you and every one of you 
uh, for being in support of this important mission. Well, at the time, Rines was Clinton's deputy assistant secretary of state for strategic communications. Nevertheless, he told uh, Politico, it's uh, sort of a given when you become secretary of state that you are representing the United States, and it's particularly important to represent a unified country. He noted that Clinton skipped the 2012 Democratic National Convention in Charlotte, saying, uh, we hewed it to to religiously. Well, Politico reported that while officials and experts didn't run out of the possibility that Past secretaries of state had attended events similar to the Value Voters Summit, either on the right or the left of the political spectrum. None reached by Politico could recall any similar cases of a secretary having done so. State Department spokeswoman Heather Newart uh, said, this, said uh, the speech will not be about partisan politics. If speaking about protecting human rights and liberty, including highlighting the persecution of Christians, Jews, Uyghurs, Muslims, and other religious minorities around the world is considered wrong or offensive, then we as a nation have truly lost our way, Newart said in a statement. Uh, Secretary Pompeo will continue to advance U.S. foreign policy interests as he continues to advocate on behalf of the oppressed. Political story read, Pompeo is still walking a fine line just by showing up. Former and current U.S. officials say the situation is also potentially fraught, given the event is likely to help galvanize Republicans ahead of the upcoming midterm elections, as if this were something uh, new. A political also quotes former Secretary of State John Kerry's chief of staff, David Wade, as saying, it's not dissimilar from the military. You work hard to keep the Secretary of State in a nonpartisan category. My comment would be since when his quote goes on because the public in Capitol Hill needs to trust that they're speaking for the administration and the facts, not politics or partisan purposes. Again, the laugh factor here, I'm going to try to avoid. The report goes on. Some pointed out that secretaries of state often speak about foreign policy at conservative or left-leaning institutions, a think tank, for example. Still, the Values Voter Summit is more explicit than most such events about its goals. Another example of the uh, double standard. California Governor Jerry Brown, he ramped up his criticism of President Trump in an interview that aired on Monday calling the president a saboteur tour in the fight to combat climate change and saying that something's got to happen to this guy. Now, is this a veiled threat? Something's got to happen to this guy, referring to the president of the United States. Now, there was a time when a statement like that would be taken seriously and the individual would at minimum be interviewed, uh, at maximum be held accountable for threatening the executive. Well, speaking to MSNBC's Andrea Mitchell, where that kind of comment is not only welcome, it's often um, echoed by members of the professional staff at uh, an environmental summit in San Francisco last week. Um, The governor of California tore into Trump for the president's controversial tweets about the death toll in Puerto Rico from last year's Hurricane Maria and urged voters to vote for Democrats in November's midterm elections in an effort to thwart Trump's agenda. We never had a president who was engaged in this kind of behavior, Brown said, and he's referring to his opposition to the climate change lobby. I mean, he's not telling the truth. He keeps changing his mind. He's sabotaging the world order in many respects. Of course, the the governor is granting him far more power than any U.S. president has ever had. But that aside, he added, it's unprecedented. It's dangerous. And hopefully this election is going to send a strong message to the country. The Democrats will win. Something's got to happen to this guy, because if we don't get rid of him, he's going to undermine America and even the world. Again, more power than any U.S. president, I suppose, has ever had. Actually had. Well, under Brown, California has become one of the main op- opponents of the Trump administration policies on everything from land use to immigration. But there is perhaps no area where California has been more combative against the White House agenda than the environment. Of course, the environmental policy in California is 
um, transforming California from the prosperous state it once was to one in which people are fleeing in record numbers. California has positioned itself as the center of the Trump resistance. Jessica Levinson, a clinical law professor at Loyola Law School in Los Angeles, says it's bloody combat, and it certainly is that. Earlier this month, the governor signed two pieces of legislation effectively banning the construction of any new offshore oil and gas pipelines in the state's waters. The new laws are meant to thwart a Trump plan to open nearly 1.7 billion acres of coastal waters to drilling. Shortly before the climate conference began last week, the governor also put his signature on legislation phasing out electricity in the state produced by fossil fuels by 2045, long after, of course, he'll be uh, in office. It's really extraordinary that the president can deny science like that. And of course, the notion that it's settled is a a misnomer. You can ask scientists about that. Um, It's bad in how we um, uh, counteracted is with a climate summit with normal people, normal people respecting the truth and communicating that with other normal people. So if you are skeptical about some of the science that's uh, referred to as settled, you are not considered normal. Well, the move rescinds much of a 2016 rule adopted under President uh, Obama that forced energy companies to capture methane, a key uh, contributor to climate change. Uh, The replacement rule from the Interior Department doesn't have the same um, mandates for companies to reduce gas pollution. It comes a week after the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency proposed weakening a similar rule for emissions from public and private lands. Uh, We're for clean air, clean water, but at the same time, we're for reasonable regulations. The deputy, uh, I should say, Interior Secretary David Barnhart told reporters, battle lines having been drawn. Well, advocacy groups pouring money into independent campaigns to impact this fall's midterm races have to disclose many of their political donors beginning this week. That's after the Supreme Court on Tuesday declined to intervene in a long-running case. We're going to take a break in just a moment, and when we return, we'll give you more details. But the high court didn't grant an emergency request to stay a ruling by a federal judge in Washington who had thrown out a decades-old Federal Election Commission regulation allowing nonprofit groups to keep their donors secret unless they had embarked uh, their money for certain purposes. We'll tell you more about that in just a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Wow. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on this Wednesday afternoon. Well, advocacy groups who spend a lot of money in independent campaigns to impact this fall's midterm elections have to disclose their uh, political donors, or at least many of them. That starts this week after the Supreme Court yesterday declined to intervene in a long-running case. The high court didn't grant an emergency request to stay a ruling by a federal judge in Washington who'd thrown out a decades-old Federal Elections Commission regulation that would allow nonprofit groups to keep their donors secret unless they had embarked their money on uh, certain purposes. With less than 50 days before the fall's um, congressional elections or midterm elections, the ruling has far-reaching consequences that could curtail the ability of major political players to raise money and force the disclosure of some of the country's wealthiest donors. Well, in an interview, FEC Chair Woman Caroline Hunter said that the names of certain contributors who give money to nonprofit groups to use in political campaigns beginning, well, today, will have to be publicly reported. She Hunter said that other conservatives warned the decision could have a chilling effect just as the midterms are heating up. It's 
unfortunate that citizens and groups who wish to advocate for their candidate will now have to deal with a lot of uncertainty less than two months before the election. By the way, Hunter is a Republican appointee. Advocates for stricter regulation of money and politics celebrated the move. This is a great day for transparency and democracy, said the executive director of Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, or CREW, which um, brought the case in a statement adding that we're about to know a lot more about who is funding our elections. Well, that goes both ways. The ruling last month by Chief U.S. District Judge Beryl Howell will be challenged on appeal, but in the immediate, um, the decision forces major groups on the left and the right to scramble and reassess how to plan to finance their fall campaigns. For example, if a group that is less popular or is somewhat controversial wants to give a large gift to a political campaign but would choose to do so anonymously for the sake of the candidate or perhaps for their own sake, that won't be possible with a few exceptions. Well, nonprofit advocacy groups, which uh, do not have to publicly disclose their donors that political committees do, will now have to begin reporting the names of contributors who give more than $200 per year toward their independent political campaigns, campaign finance lawyers are uh, saying. Moving forward, these groups are going to need to disclose to the public any donor that gave money for the purpose of influencing a federal election, regardless of whether they want to sponsor a particular race or specific uh, communication. Republican campaign finance attorney says that some groups uh, won't need to adjust their approach to raising funds, but this will be a significant change for others. While the change could affect heavyweight groups across the political spectrum, including the uh, Koch-backed Americans for Prosperity on the right and the League of Conservation Voters on the left to name just two. Well, the case started nearly six years ago when Crew filed a complaint to the FEC arguing that it should require Crossroads GPS, a major conservative nonprofit, to disclose the names of donors behind a $6 million effort to run a, in uh, 2012 against Senator Sherrod uh, Brown in Ohio. The FEC deadlocked on whether to open an investigation into Crossroads uh, and then uh, dismiss the complaint in 2015. The following year, Crew sued the agency. Well, in a ruling last month, Howell sided with Crew in her 113-page uh, opinion. The judge wrote that the FEC's regulation blatantly undercuts the congressional goal of fully disclosing the sources of money flowing into federal political campaigns and thereby suppresses the benefit intended to accrue from disclosure. She delayed the disclosure requirement for 45 days to give the agency time to adopt a new rule. Well, Crossroads GPS unsuccessfully sought to stay the ruling, pending its appeal. On Tuesday, a spokesman for Crossroads GPS said in a statement, while we are disappointed, the Supreme Court did not take this opportunity to ensure regulatory clarity for non-political organizations that lawfully engage in election activity. We are confident we can navigate through the, the current morass and comply with the law as we always have. The FPC has, uh, now has to create a new rule for nonprofits, but it's unlikely to be in place before the midterms. New regulations uh, must be considered by Congress for 30 legislative days before they go into effect, meaning the FEC would, uh, would have needed to finish drafting a new rule before the court issues its opinion for it to go into effect by the 17th of September, the court's deadline. So um, it may not have as much of an impact on the midterm elections, but it certainly will moving forward unless um, on appeal there's a decision uh, to look at this case, something the Supreme Court has decided not to do. Well, after nearly a decade, a little uh, of rather little to no increase in Social Security benefits, next year may be the year retirees' uh, checks finally rise. Well, the C Senior Citizens League, which is a nonprofit senior advocacy organization, is forecasting benefits will jump by 2.8 percent in 2019 
which would be the largest increase in seven years. That's slightly down from the group's previous uh, forecast of 3%, but would still boost the average beneficiary's check by $39 a month and raise the current maximum benefit collected by someone who retires at full retirement age uh, by about $78 per month. The cost of living adjustment was 2% in 2018 or $26 per month on average, but was perceived to be offset by increases in Medicare costs. Medicare Part B premiums are projected to increase by about $1.50 a month uh, to $135.50 per month in 2019. Well, the 2018 Social Security benefits increase followed a 0.3% rise in 2017 and no increase the year before. Uh, be ready to take um, a stock of what you get if you are currently on uh, on Social Security. Cost of living adjustments are implemented in order to counteract the effects of inflation. The Social Security Administration is going to announce the cost of living adjustment next month. The agency declined to comment with specifics at this point, but next month uh, those numbers will be um, fixed. Well, Google has built a search engine for uh, China that gives the Chinese uh, People's Republic uh, access to personal phone numbers, making it easier for the communist government to track and punish those who stray. Well, again, Google built a prototype of a censored search engine for China that links users' searches to their personal phone numbers, making it easier for the government to monitor people's queries. The Intercept uh, uh, is reporting the search engine codenamed Dragonfly was designed for Android devices and would remove content deemed sensitive by government uh, by China's ruling Communist Party regime, such as information about political dissidents, free speech, democracy, human rights, peaceful protests. You know, the things we cherish and so often take for granted. Previously undisclosed details about the plan obtained by The Intercept on Friday show that Google complied with uh, uh, a censorship um, uh, backlash that included terms such as human rights, student protest, and Nobel Prize in Mandarin. Mandarin, rather, leading human rights groups have criticized Dragonfly, saying that it would uh, it could result in the company directly contributing to or becoming complicit in human rights violations. Well, a central concern expressed by the groups in that is that rather beyond the censorship, user data stored by Google on the Chinese mainland could be accessible to Chinese authorities who routinely target political activists and journalists. Well, sources familiar with the project said that prototypes of the search engine linked the search apps on a, a user's Android smartphone with their phone number. This means individual people's searches could be easily tracked, and any user seeking out information banned by the government could potentially be at risk of interrogation or detention if security agencies were uh, to obtain, rather, the search records from Google. This is very problematic from a a privacy point of view, although privacy doesn't quite apply there as it does here. Um, uh, The search engine would be operated as part of a joint venture partnership with a company based in mainland China, according to sources familiar with that project. People working for the joint venture would have the the capability, rather, to update the search uh, terms, uh, blacklists, and sources said raising new questions about whether Google executives in the United States would be able to maintain effective control and oversight over the censorship. Well, sources familiar with Dragonfly said the search platform also appeared to have have been tailored to replace weather and air pollution data with information provided directly by an unnamed source in Beijing. The Chinese government has a record of manipulating details about pollution in the country's cities. One Google source uh, said the company had built a system uh, integrated as part of Dragonfly that was essentially hard-coded to force their Chinese-provided data. The sources raised concerns that Dragonfly search uh, uh, system would be providing false pollution data that downplayed the amount of toxins in the air. Google has so far declined to to publicly address concerns about the Chinese censorship plans and didn't respond to requests for comment uh, either. 
In the six weeks since the first details about Dragonfly were revealed, the companies refused to engage with human rights groups, ignored dozens of reporters' questions, and rebuffed U.S. senators. The pressure on Google has continued to intensify. On Thursday, 16 U.S. lawmakers wrote to Google CEO Sundar Pichai, expressing a serious concern about Dragonfly and demanding information about the company's China plans. Meanwhile, Jack Polson, a former Google senior research scientist, told The Intercept that he was one of about five employees to have resigned from the company due to this very program, Dragonfly, saying, I view our intent to capitulate to censorship and surveillance demands in exchange for access to the Chinese market as a forfeiture of our values and governmental negotiating uh, position across the globe. Uh, The resignation of uh, his own and of several others now ending. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment to wrap things up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. Just want to give you a reminder, if you're interested in more information from Redeeming the Nations, my guest in the previous hour, you can go to their website, and that is RTNM, Redeeming the Nation's Ministries, RTNM.org. And if you're interested in more information about their uh, banquet on October 14th, you can find that there as well. Again, that's coming up on Sunday, October 14th at the Embassy Suites Hotel in um, Portland, Hillsboro, Beaverton. I'm never quite sure what the address is, but it's a great way to learn more about the ministry and uh, some of the innovative approaches that they're using to preach the gospel in the Middle East. So uh, check that out. Again, Samuel Hakim uh, being the president. And if you didn't have the opportunity to hear that conversation, you can always go to our podcast uh, where that and um, all of our interviews uh, and programs can be found at kpdq.com. Well, many of us are lamenting the secularization, the secularization, let's say the word correctly, of our culture. And one example of that uh, in the setting of public education came when a Christian ad was barred from a football field after a a Christian business um, had paid a significant amount of money for about $3,500 for its logo to be placed at the end zone of a high school football uh, uh, field. And that, of course, generates revenue for the school. It helps the uh, program and so on. Well, before a Louisiana high school football game, two Benton high school students were told they had to remove a Christian logo from the end zones. Uh, Again, one at each end. The two students left the field, didn't help those who removed the logos because they didn't support the notion. Uh, The Christ Fit Gym logos included a cross and a Bible verse. The business Christ Fit Gym paid the Football Boosters Club $3,500 for the 2018-2019 season to display the logos. Well, in February, Americans United for Separation of Church and State filed a federal lawsuit against the school district. They complained the district promoted Christianity and was trying to convert students. Well, in the United States, we should uh, rejoice with kids who want to follow Bible standards That's a quote from Four Winds USA President Steve McConkie. Instead, we are trying to erase Jesus Christ from our public schools. Recent research says 20% of students in college have considered suicide. This is not a time to remove God from the public schools. Well, the um, Americans United for Separation of Church and State begged to differ and won the day. McConkie is the founder and president of Four Winds USA. It's a ministry standing up for Christian athletes. He has uh, fought fought with, rather, freedom from religion atheists, also located in Madison, Wisconsin, after they attacked top university football teams and other teams in the United States for Christian activity. Well, in 2003, McConkie started fighting the International 
National Olympic Committee for allowing transgenders in the Olympics. McConkie was the only one who stood against this publicly. Recently, the IOC reversed many of their transgender and intersex policies by making the testosterone levels go down to five um, nanomoles, as they're called, instead of 10. Well, Steve and Liz McConkie are the founders and operate Four Winds USA. They started in world-class track and field ministries in 1981. From 82 to 92, Steve was a USA National Club coach for Athletes in Action, uh, lay witness for Christ, and Four Winds USA. Athletes were uh, ranked eight times. In 1992, Four Winds USA dropped the team and started to working with all world-class track and field athletes. In 2014, Four Winds USA started standing up for Christian athlete, athletes rather in every sport. And uh, Mr. McConkley uh, periodically appears on worldwide radio and global articles on and on television. Well, he uh, graduated uh, with honors from Western Kentucky University and Minnesota State University. Uh, his wife graduated with honors from Wisconsin Superior for Wins USA is trying to support uh, the freedom of athletes to express their faith on and off the field, whatever their uh, chosen athletic endeavor may happen to be. And this is just the latest. Um, it appears at this point that there is not much pushback um, and the logo has been removed, whether or not uh, that there will be efforts to uh, replace it or to challenge the ruling is not yet clear. But yet another example where um, even a, a business, a secular business with a Christian message is not welcome on campus. Well, tomorrow on the program, we're going to talk with Trey Doty, who is with uh, Responder Life. In fact, I need to ask you, is that confirmed, James? I know we've been kind of going back and forth on that is postponed. Oh, rats. Well, I was looking forward to that. Um, I'd mentioned it earlier in the week, so I appreciate your bringing me up to up to date. Uh, so we won't be talking with Trey tomorrow, but that's uh, on deck for um the following week, is that what you said? James says the second week of October, so we're looking forward to that. Also, today we had been looking forward to um, talking with our friends um, Sandy Snavely and Associate about the Masterpiece Conference. That's coming up next week as well. She had some conflicts, and so we've had to reschedule that. So I apologize if you were anticipating that conversation, but we will uh, undertake uh, to talk with her on um, oh, well, next week. So we'll let you know on Friday more specifically when that will be. Uh, so tomorrow it's a wild card. We'll have to let you know what we uh, what we come up with, but it'll be really good, right, James? Really, really good. Okay, we'll go with that. I want to thank James Blinn for producing and engineering today's program. Thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day, and have a great night. Promise? Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.